0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99%. I'm here with Elliot. Hey, everybody. And Marilyn. What's up? And I'm (laughs) Jesse. Just in case. And today we're going to talk about planning a season. We're finally rolling into a new year here, and there are some races on the calendar. Hopefully they stay there. So hopefully everyone's starting to think about what races they want to do, how their calendar looks, how they want to shape that. So yeah, we're just going to run through kind of some of our advice and experiences in planning a season to start things off. I'm going to tell you guys a little story about this one time when I didn't plan a season, it was uh, it was the spring and I raced Ironman Texas and I kind of went all in on the bike, which led to a very slow marathon which made me feel like maybe I didn't get the most out of myself on that race. I started coming around like fairly quickly after. So I decided to race a half Ironman six days later. Um, in general, most would say that's probably not a good idea to race a half Ironman six days after a full Ironman, especially one being in Texas and the other being a 13 hour drive to wildflower. And being basically exactly opposite courses. But Wildflower actually went really well. It was my best Wildflower ever. I was in the top 10, made a little money. So it was, it was a total success. And I was like, yes, this is awesome. Like I kind of salvaged this little training block. And, you know, I did this little double and I was like, oh, that makes me, I'm kind of like happy with how this turned out going home. And then it was like the springtime, you know, wildflower. And I was like thinking about what I was going to race next. And then I couldn't walk for three weeks because I was so sore from doing a half Ironman right after an Ironman. And I had to basically change the entire rest of my season because I needed this giant midseason break that I wasn't really planning on because I didn't plan my season ahead of time. And I flew by the seat of my pants. And so it worked out well in the moment but I think the long-term effect on that season was a pretty big negative but wildflower is fun I,
1: I take it the end of the year did not go quite as you'd hoped for in the three days post wildflower
0: well you know i I plan on like rolling into like Eagle man and doing kind of some some of the 70.3s yeah and, and instead of being able to do that it was kind of like okay full full shutdown mode because I cannot. I cannot Fine step thing. on the gas pedal at all for a while, Um, so you know, kind of had to change my entire season, which I had planned, and then you know, through the audible. And although, like I said, kind of worked short term, and long term, it probably wasn't the best for my entire season. So, so yeah, I I had like my my A races for the year, and then I kind of deviated, and it made it so like Eagle, man, I couldn't race. So it, it took an a race totally off the table and made me kind of have to say, okay, I need to rearrange my entire season and say, yeah, that was cool. I did that, but now puts me in a, in a situation for the rest of the year. Um, had I started out with a better idea of the races I wanted to prioritize the recovery I needed recovery I needed between them and like how I was going to get from one, a race to another, then I would have done a better job kind of managing my, my energy and my recovery. So let's talk about how to do that appropriately. So you don't end up in a situation where you need to take a month off in June. Uh, in order to do that, I'd say like one thing to have is a good idea of your priority races and how you rank them kind of where they fall in the season. So I guess in, in planning your season, first off, do you guys talk about different priority priority races? The lingo that I kind of see most often is A, B, and C races. Do you guys use that? Just Mm -hmm. a reminder, you guys can't nod on a podcast. It does (laughs) not work. I've
2: got people nodding.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Marilyn, take it. Yeah,
2: yeah. I use I use A, B, and C. And you know, while I'm listening to you talk, Jesse, I've like I've had all these different thoughts and and different things where I was like, oh, uh, you know, I have ideas on that and different scenarios where I've dealt with that and things that might have played into it. So it's going to be fun to dive into the different approaches and and different ways you can plan a season and you know, questions I even have for you that maybe had you done things a little bit differently there. Would, it, would have the outcome been a little bit different. So, but to answer your question, yeah, I definitely use A, B, and C. So C being the lowest priority races or practice races, and then B is ones that you're using as a um, little bit more priority, but you're, you know, you're maybe not gearing completely up for. And uh, A races are those ones that we hope to have our best performances at.
1: So yeah, briefly, I define them a slightly different, but basically, yeah, C fun training practice exactly what Marilyn said, B for me, I usually say you're fit, but your training ne- wasn't necessarily specific fo- specifically focused on that race, but you probably would taper. And then at a race is the trainings really focused on that race. It, it, whatever, slight difference. Um, but to be honest, that's how I did that for years In probably the last eight to 10 years, I don't necessarily use ABC but I use that. I always have the, what is the most important race to you this year? What is the second most important race to you? And then why? And then we, we talk specifically about those answers, but in effect for most anybody, it's really easy to use the ABC. And I I think that's the easiest way to talk about it for this podcast.
0: Yeah. So I think the important thing is that there, there is like an order or ranking to the races yeah. And, and ABC works as well as, as anything, I suppose. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that just, just to add to that, the, the one thing that I like to think about is like the, the, the rest you're going to take so that you're fresh for a race is going to change, right? You might not rest much for a C race. You might rest a little bit more. So you're tapering, feeling a little bit more fresh for a B race. And then obviously for an A race, you're going to be tapered, ready to, to rock and roll. Um, that's. That's kind of what I think about is as far as like the, the energy or like the, the amount of training time that's going to be set aside for that race is going to change based on ABC.
2: Yeah. I I think of it more as, um, I agree with that, but I also think of it as making sure that people's expectations are set right. Because, you know, every time we tow the line, we're typically competitive people, we forget the whole ABC thing and, and everybody is like super competitive. And then you get the person who says, Oh, I was really disappointed with my performance, but they have forgotten that it was a C race and what the, so if we, if you define that and outline it going in and know that your training blocks are geared towards your peak performance being at that a race, then it's just going to really help people understand where they are at and in, in like their mindset and their expectation for that race and what they're hoping to get out of it. So I think it really helps manage that for a lot of athletes as well.
1: Yeah. I think C sea races are the races that you need the almost more discussion heading into a sea race from the mental side, but also you're a sea race. I, I'm assuming you guys both agree, but tell me what you think. As, essentially a sea race to me is the same thing as a very, your most focused workout of the week or the second most, or most focused workout of two weeks. Um, and it's not really any different than that. If your most focused workout of the week, you don't usually go into tired or overly fatigued and a sea race is the same way. So you're not tapering, but you're not going in tired, or at least not
0: exhausted. Yeah, totally. Yeah.
2: yeah. And, and it's also, um, you know, just to, just to always, you know, bring another thought pattern into it. It's not always about the amount of fatigue carried into the race. It's also about, um, you know, bringing an athlete into form. So you might not have done the required amount of workouts necessary to be at your best performance as well. So yes, the fatigue is a factor, but it's not the only factor that you're looking at when you're looking at these A, B, and C races. It's also where are we at in the training blocks that you, you know, that you actually have that that level of fitness. And, and these C races, they C and B races, they play a factor in building that fitness towards an A race. You know, I call the C races. We're going to dust out the cobwebs. There's nothing that gets you fitter and stronger than, than actually going to do a race. You can't, you really replicate that in training. So, so, you know, you, they become part of the process of getting there and part of the training blocks to get, getting there and, and understanding that, yeah, you might be carrying a little bit of fatigue, but that's not the only factor. And so, you know, having, having a good understanding of that, I think is important.
0: Yeah. I mean, having done this a long time, it's still hard for me to, to keep that in mind as I'm going to a race that I'm not going to have my fastest race ever at a C race when I'm tired going in and and I'm not totally ready for it. But so it is something that you definitely need to have those chats with your athletes with and make sure they, they can see kind of the, the big picture on that. Um. So, Elliot had a question here about racing at less than a hundred percent effort. So I'm gonna let Elliot kick that one off.
1: Well, I, yeah, the the it's exactly what you said, and Marilyn just touched on it a bit. What is your thought on going into a race where you pin a number on? You're racing people. You know, you probably paid money to get there and you go in using it as a very focused workout and you're probably trying to execute a handful of goals um but then you don't give your 100% effort like not you know a sea race you don't give your 100% what you're capable of because you didn't come in perfectly prepared or perfectly rested right but on the day you still would give your best effort usually And, and I'm really curious what your guys' thoughts are like, is there ever a scenario where maybe you wouldn't, uh, give your best effort in bike racing? People do it all the time. You know, you go in and you, you surf the wheels and you respond to a handful of attacks. Uh, maybe you're working for a teammate and you work for a teammate for a set period of time, and then you roll it in when shit gets really hard and triathlon. That's not really a thing that's done too often. Um, but yeah, w- what's your two, Marilyn? Like, did you guys ever do that much when you're racing? And I know Jesse, we tried not to do it very much with you in particular, but I have done it with other athletes. So curious about the scenarios where you think that's acceptable.
2: No, I I I'm gonna say that every time I pinned a number on, it was to go as hard as I possibly could with what I had at that time. Um, because if I was pinning a number on, it was usually to try and make some money. Um So I went as hard as I could with what I had. Now that might be a great performance because I put the training blocks in and, and I'm, you know, rested, or it might be, you know, just an okay performance, but it was never, we're going to, we're going to back off anywhere here purposely. Um, The only time I would say that you might take that approach and and I actually feel that way about most of my athletes. I think that, you know, to ask someone to, to consciously hold back when they race can be pretty tricky, especially for most amateur athletes. And, and we don't get to race really that often. When you're a bike racer, you race every weekend. You might even race every Tuesday night, Thursday night, and every Saturday, or you know, you're know you racing three, four times a week. So that's um, that's a bit more, that's a different thing. But when you're a triathlete, you don't really get to race that often. And so I think when you do race, you, you, know, you want the opportunity to go really fast and, and go for it. Unless, here's the however um, part, if someone's coping with an injury, okay? So like if someone, if we say, and this is where you gotta really know your athlete. So if I've got an athlete and they've got a running injury, we might say, well, let's go race the swim and the bike. And then you're not even gonna put your runners in transition. Like, so there's no temptation, right? We're just like, you're gonna swim, you're gonna bike, and then you're gonna stop. Um, or, you know, might give a very, very specific plan that says you're gonna, if they have something that we're trying to manage, you, you know, we're going to, um, do these exact numbers on the bike because we're coping with this injury and and we don't want to push it past that point. However, we're going to get to race the swim really hard and race the run really hard. So that would be my only time that I would hold someone back in a race. Other than that, then I think the point of racing is to go and race and, and see where you're really at.
0: That was a good caveat. I, uh, I was, I was wondering where you're going to go with that. Cause I was like, there's no, there's no, time where you should ever not go as hard as you can in that moment. Like (laughs) I couldn't think of anything. I was like, there's not ever, that should never, ever happen. Um, so that's how I feel. (laughs) Uh,
1: Well, I I can expand. Do you have anything else, Jesse?
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess I would say that like, I I feel like many athletes, uh, definitely myself, and I'm I'm hoping some others are like a little bit of a head case. Right. And so like, you want (laughs) to you want to practice racing hard and you want to make sure that's like racing is always a hundred percent. Like you never want to practice 90% because that's not a thing that should ever happen in a race. Right. So I like racing is a skill, right? Yeah. Thank you. And so like, you want to keep that skill sharp and you want to say, okay, like when I put a bib number on, I can go a hundred percent or have those days where I go one hundred and five percent. And that's that's what happens. And there's never a time when you put it a bib run and don't do that. It's always associated with that. I would say if you want some kind of like not maximal effort, that's what Tommy you say, okay, well, let's just do a workout instead of going to the race and, and save pinning that bib number on for a moment when you can go as hard as you can. Think, and
1: oh, sorry.
0: I was going to say that all, like, like we said earlier, it depends on your preparation. Like the hundred percent then doesn't mean your fittest effort, it just means like Marilyn said, you're working with what you have in that moment. Yeah.
1: hundred um, percent on the day. Right. So I, I did not think I was going to be the person who was the, uh, uh, the weakest on this stance, but, um, norm normally in my head, if you, if you just walked up to me on the street and said, should you race every race at a hundred percent? I'd say, yes, always race a hundred percent. The scenarios where I would not, uh, in my personal opinion, if someone was injured, I probably wouldn't even have them get on the start line, but if it was only a running injury, I agree with Marilyn, you could have them swim and bike, and then don't put your running shoes in there. Um, I've done that. I've had people do that a few times. The situ- there's two situations. I could see people racing at less than hundred percent, a small local race where you're kind of someone in the community and you're trying to be a part of the community and now is not the time for you to be doing an all-out effort in the build towards one of your a b or even c races and in that case i always make people have all these weird caveats that's super specific to them so if someone has trouble swimming with a pack i might tell them uh you're going to stand on the start line for five seconds and then practice swimming through people or you know you're going to go insanely hard early in the bike just so you know what it feels like so that when you do your real race you're you're going to be like more open to the idea of pacing. Well, if that's something they have a problem with things like that, you know? Um, so I think it's that local race. And then the other one is where, if you know, going in that you're going to win the thing by 10 plus minutes, then maybe you're just using it as training. And usually those aren't races with prize money. Nobody's going into a prize money race, knowing they're going to win. Um, so it's it's those two situations with our which are really specific and not very common but other than that yeah I, race as hard as you can if you put a number on if it's a trap on bike racing is a different story i think running we'd probably all agree if you're going to pin the number on you better go all the way to the line so
0: just to just to back that up too like i guess the other 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 situation i would say <laughs> is if you happen to find yourself winning a race by 10 minutes and you have 6 miles of running left Maybe you don't need to run it in as hard as you can. Maybe you can jog that one in if you're gonna maintain the lead that way and uh and save it for another day. If you're if you're racing for money and trying to race somewhat regularly and that's that's the situation you're in, then because I mean running hard at the end of the race is causes the most damage and fatigue. So if you can avoid that and still win, and then that could be a good thing for your overall season that yeah, you're planning.
2: I totally agree with that, Jesse. Actually, um, back in the '80s, you know, a lot of those guys they used to race every, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and uh, so it's a different thing if you're racing for paychecks, right? And they used to race every weekend, and exactly that. Like I remember having a conversation with Scott Molina, and he said he only ever ran as fast as he had to to win because he he wanted to be able to get back to training the next day or go race again the next day or race the next weekend, and so a lot of times he was underestimated on the run because he was such a good swim biker. And, um, but then, you know, when he had to run fast, he really, really could. It's just that most of the time he exactly that scenario is where he only ran as fast as he needed to, to win because yeah, exactly right. Running, running hard in the back half of the race, that's where maybe your recovery is going to be. Um, but that's, you know, that's a very select group of people that are making those kinds of decisions, you know, um, and especially for the listener
1: has won more professional triathlons than any other person in the world.
2: So, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, the, the the guy I raced a lot, you know. So those are those are special cases for sure, but definitely something to keep in mind if you're if you're if you are racing for a paycheck. That's
0: true. And yeah, I guess on on the racing injured thing, I think that we it's it's you have to be really careful, right? Because you never want to prolong an injury, but if say you're an age group athlete and sign up for one Ironman for the entire year and pick up a running injury and you want to be able to go there, be in the atmosphere and do the the swim and the bike, you know, it, it's, it's always hard to say, like, obviously we'd love to say, no, you shouldn't go because you're injured and save it for another day, but that's not always an option. So being able to at least enjoy two thirds of the race can be uh kind of a better than nothing situation, I suppose.
1: Well, experience too. Like it's, it's, you, if it's a learning experience, you know, most, most age group athletes haven't done 10 plus Ironman. So every single one, you're going to learn from it. So.
0: Yeah. Even at even over 20, still learn every single time. Yeah, that's true. What are you up to? Uh, uh, that's a good, I don't know. Low twenties somewhere. Okay. So above and beyond like selecting ABC races and setting up the season, how, how do you space out those races? Like, can you, can you stack a races? Do you think you should have six months between a races for, for the sake of the conversation? Let's, let's start with Ironman. And so I don't know, Marilyn, do you, do you have any like general rules of thumb for like timing? Yeah. So
2: yeah, I'm going to kind of jump all over the map on this one a little, you know, this is, um, I'm going to use a couple stories and, and jump around a little bit here. So bear with me. And where I'm going with this is, so let's use me as an example. When I was racing, I had to have, you know, as a type of athlete that needed a long build to, to really get good fitness and peak specifically for an A event, taper and then head to the event. So for Ironmans, I had to place them very carefully throughout the year. One at the very beginning of the year, say February, one in the middle of the year might be June. And then one at the end of the year might be August or all the way through to December, something like that. I could race some half Ironmans in between, which we would call our B races and C races I did as like bike races, that kind of stuff. So I, I really spread mine out throughout the year and I was capable of Performing very well at three major Ironmans a year and this is someone who trained and raced year-round lived in summer year-round I I went from southern hemisphere to northern hemisphere so had all of those sort of conveniences at my fingertips to, to make that happen But all the cards needed to lay right for me to build the amount of fitness that I needed to to be at an a race now I've certainly seen and worked with a lot of athletes and seen in a lot of peers and professional athletes where they do these massive training blocks um these massive training blocks, like a 20 week training block. And then they go into a race block where they do, you know, three back-to-back Ironmans or two back-to-back Ironmans, you know, maybe a half Ironman, two weeks later, an Ironman, a week later, another Ironman. So that's going to become really unique to uh, a type of athlete that can race that much. Um, who can hold on to fitness for a very long time so when you when you design these kinds of race blocks you're looking at someone who can hold fitness for we're talking up to you know three to five weeks uh so that they're and they gain fitness from the racing each time so it needs to be a conversation looking at the type of athlete how do they build fitness and hold on to it and then how are you going to place these a b and c races around that so For me, I was a very traditional needed a C race to dust out the cobwebs, a build race into a B race, like a half Ironman, something like that long training blocks and then taper and go to my a race. So I was uh, and then I needed a long recovery period afterwards and then build back up the fitness. I don't I don't hold on to fitness well at all. I lose fitness. I take four days off. takes me like three weeks to to get back to where I was. I other athletes, you know, I have a friend who coaches this guy. He's one of the top amateur athletes on the circuit. He holds on to fitness for ages. I mean, eight weeks later, he's still riding off the fitness that he built, you know, four or five months before, and goes and has PRs and and wins overall amateur Ironman. So I think when you're planning these A, B and C races, these are the types of conversations you need to be having. And this is where it's important. Coach athlete really know each other really well and, and know how, you know, how to design the year appropriately.
1: I'm kind of curious, were you, do you remember about how many times a year you would race? Like, cause you said you'd do the C and then a B and then your last block and then an Ironman. So like, were you racing about nine to 12 times a year?
2: Nah, probably not that much. I mean, I only ever did three Ironmans a year and then I probably only did maybe four, three or four half Ironmans in between there. And then the rest of the racing I did actually was bike racing. I I bike raced a lot. Um, and, but
1: as train, like sure you'd try to do good in the race, but as training.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, because I was racing bike races as a triathlete. I mean, I was always a worker bee, and there are big races. I mean, I went to world cups and national road calendar races and stuff, but I, you know, I was, I was not targeted on those. So they were hard. They're very hard. And they were, um, you know, I would race often, but, but again, there's no run in that. And so the damage is done in the run. When you bike race a lot, your immune system's affected, you know, your hormones are affected all that's a whole nother different conversation. Um, but with triathlon, it's more, you know, you're beat up from the run and there's a, a recovery in the damage to the to the muscles that has to be taken into account. So, so my c races were always, yeah. The c races for me were always bike races, never running races because I was just way too injury prone to use running races as tune-up races. Um, and then, yeah, half Ironman would be a B race, and then Ironman an A race. And yeah, I just I really didn't get the opportunity to race that much. I didn't hold on to fitness well. It took me a long time to build fitness. I'm still exactly the same, even as a you know older athlete now. Um, I find the same things. I lose fitness quickly, take a long time to build it.
1: Marilyn, we like to use the term experienced, not
2: experience, like Experienced. Seasoned. I'm oh, seasoned. yeah.
1: Like a fine steak.
2: Yeah. So, so to answer your original question, I did. De- I definitely I didn't race that often. You know, I wasn't someone. Yeah. Um, but I certainly had peers and friends who raced, you know, six, seven Ironmans a year and ten half Ironmans a year.
1: So the, the trait I've seen with, with people who are able to race more Ironmans more like more frequently is, uh, it it all comes down to run durability. It's how much does the marathon beat you up? It's not how well do you run the marathon? It's how destroyed are your legs post marathon? Was that your experience with the people who could race more or was it more to do with just were they fit enough to do the race in the first place? Like for people doing races back to back or two, three weeks apart.
2: So that's what's interesting is my answer actually, just from experience on that end is no. I mean, I, I, I could go for a jog the next day after an Ironman. I wasn't sore at all. all. I could hop up and down stairs. Um, You know, you were tired, but no, I just, um, not even that I really could even just pick up training. Well, afterwards I just couldn't back up racing. It was like the loss of fitness and the taper and the recovery days afterwards was so much that I would just be, I was unable to, to really go again. Um, and then, you know, the athletes that I knew who were racing multiple Ironmans back to back weekends and racing, like I say, six, seven a year, we were doing the same amount of training. So it's not like I was less fit or it beat me up more. It's just, and I also have another friend that's like that, who's a professional athlete, and he is very similar. He had to, he has to just very specific races, long training builds, long, re- you know, recovery afterwards, those types of things, and that's where it's done best. I mean, I could back up a race, it just wouldn't go well, go well, you know. Just, um, it's really, I think, more to do with how I think. I think the defining factor between the two is. If I had to put a finger on it, it would be how well you can hold on to fitness between races. Because, you know, if you look at a race block, let's say you're doing two, three weeks. Look at even ITU racers. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if you're if you're racing, if you do like a five week race block, you've got to essentially hold on to the fitness that you built in the mm-hmm. six months prior to be able to perform your best and gain fitness from enough fitness from those races and the recovery that that you're performing well still on week five whereas you know for someone someone like me just you know the taper into the Ironman and then and then the you know the little even the few days rest afterwards the the level of performance just wasn't there anymore so I think it would be interesting to dive into that on different athletes and see see if that's like the main thing
1: that, that's that's super interesting to me because my experience has been, it's certainly the, the fitness for certain people. Jesse, are you trying to say something or are you doing stretches
0: stretches? Sorry. Okay.
1: Um, um, (laughs) for the listener, Jesse has very mobile shoulders or maybe not so mobile shoulders. So the, I found that the fatigue post-race particularly with an Ironman was, is so individual and so race to race that that's where you have to make that Ironman decision, um, very person to person, which I guess is your point, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone was massively different with their Ironmans coming in and how much fitness they carried post Ironman, how much fatigue they carried. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: So that's interesting. Mm. I, what I, what I've noticed with myself and with some of my athletes too, is that like, it sounds like Marilyn, you've kind of stayed the same throughout your career.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: I, I know that I've changed dramatically over my career, as far as my ability to backup racing. And I've seen that as well as some athletes, but then not others. So like, sometimes it does change as you gain experience and sometimes it doesn't. And so that's, that's another like little wrench in the works where, Maybe what worked last year isn't necessarily going to work this year, but maybe, like someone like you, like the same thing, that same plan is going to always work. Yeah. But yeah, for me, it, it definitely changed. Um,
2: yeah, I, I mean, obviously, it, it change? obviously. Yeah, obviously. But I was going to say, like, obviously, I think that's like the more miles you get in your legs and the more races you get in your legs. Like, I think anyone who's raced, oh, if you've raced over five Ironmans, five Ironmans or more, things change. Just the number of total hours training and racing and that many Ironmans. Um, and then when you raced over 10 Ironmans, again, things really, really change in terms of, um, recovery and how you're able to stack races and, and get back into training, that kind of thing. So I think, um, you're absolutely, you know, spot on with that, Jesse is that, you know, for most people, it does really change, you know, it's, uh, because now you're, you're gaining, you know, you're, you're gaining, it's it's, old
0: man strength.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's cumulative, right? It's cumulative. And, and just race hardening is right. Especially with Ironmans it's, you know, if you've done 20 Ironmans, you're just going to be different than someone who's done two. That's just, that's, that's 20 marathons in your legs and that's, you're just a different person for sure.
0: I think another factor that comes into play is like we talked about earlier, how hard you run that back half of the Ironman for, for your recovery and how well you were able to fuel that Ironman. I feel like if I stay really on top of like hydration, nutrition, and I've seen the same thing with the athletes uh, that I work with, that if they do a really good job with that, sometimes they can come out of the Ironman uh, feeling better and, and recover more quickly than, than the races where it's super hot and humid and you're just totally behind on everything by the time you get to the finish line. And I think that that takes just a whole nother toll that can really take a lot more time to recover from. So, I guess besides the individual Ironman, the fueling and conditions in which they're in can also play play a pit, pretty big role. Ellie, you look I, very confused.
1: I literally feel like I have the opposite experience with almost everyone I coach. The the reason being, when someone's better, so maybe it depends on the caliber of athlete, et cetera. But when somebody's better fueled throughout the whole race. They, and they're running harder on the back half, the recovery from the back half of that marathon's harder. So often when people have their better races, in my experience, they have a longer recovery period from the running stress. And I think you were more talking about specifically like the overall, like how tired you are stress as opposed to the pounding. Is that fair to say?
0: Yeah. And I, yeah, I totally agree with that. Like they, they, I mean, I, I noticed that just in myself, like that my, my fastest run, I, I couldn't, I had trouble walking for two weeks because of the, the muscular fatigue. But as far as how I felt, like my energy level was much higher. And I think that in, in general, that, that muscular fatigue yeah. can come, you can come back from that faster than if you get in that really big, like energy deficit where you get that fatigue that just lingers for a long time post-race. I feel like that can almost be harder to come back from than the pounding. Uh, I mean, I, it's definitely individual. I feel like you feel worse right after, like your legs are like, Oh, my legs are totally effed and you feel like that. And that, that feeling can, can feel like it's going to last forever. But I think Mm -hmm. that really deep fatigue, like, um, just like everything is drained. I think that can actually take longer to recover from.
1: I, I think, I think I would agree with that statement. If you're talking about most any age grouper, um, of any caliber, but I do know like for the fastest of the fastest pros when they hit their fueling and they run really fast. So they're muscularly fatigued, but also they basically just spent eight to nine hours at peak exertion, that amount of fatigue with the, with the faster folks I've coached, like for for the people who've won and been on podiums of Ironman men and women, it always seems like when they really nail it, their fatigues longer. And I'm kind of curious, Marilyn, when you were saying that, I'm kind of wondering if it's because you were good at executing the races you showed up to, that actually maybe you just had a more deep-seated fatigue and that just you needed that recovery before you'd be able to do it again because it took too much out of you because you were saying how you spaced it out like perfectly and to me that shows like well maybe you just did a really effing good job of of executing and you like could do it but you could only do it so many times um what's your thoughts
2: yeah i i would agree with that like i think when i i'm I think when I raced, I was always going like that was as hard as I could go. (laughs) So, so yeah, it would, I mean, it would take a lot out of me, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I think you're, 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 you know, that's definitely, it's just like, I only had so many of those efforts in me a year. And I typically, this is, you know, this, I know this is kind of on our list to work our way through is the races I did were typically pretty hard races. You know, I raced in Malaysia, I raced Mm -hmm. in France, um, I picked, so, so I was, for I'm the very, listener,
1: Malaysia is far more oppressively hot and humid than yeah, Hawaii, yeah talking, and France is really hilly.
2: Yeah. So we're talking about, you know, one was yeah, extreme climate conditions. The other one was extreme terrain conditions. Um, and then I typically race something like Ironman Canada or Ironman Western Australia at the end of the season, which, you know, those were at least kind of medium, not too bad, but I think, I raced as hard as I could on very difficult courses. And so, you know, I think, I think you'd be right in saying that for sure. Okay. That's interesting. Jesse.
0: Uh, so I guess if you were, if, if we we're going to provide any sort of like rules of thumb, do you guys have anything you would suggest or do you just, would you just kind of leave it as like, it really depends on the individual situation, how much time they need to prepare, how much time they need to space out the races Elliot's raising his hand. Yes. If
1: you're, if you're doing your first Ironman, give yourself half year minimum is what I would say. If we're going to go by rule of thumb. And again, if you're doing your first Ironman, I would say you'd be nuts to schedule any sort of race within two months after, unless it's like a fun run. Um, if, if we're going by a pure rule of thumb short of that, I mean, I've had people win Ironmans two weeks apart or with. I've had people race Man's one week apart, but they only won one and got second in the other. But, um, and I've also had, had people, you know, k- totally bomb. Like me personally, I've done half Ironman six days apart, went terribly. I've never eaten so much gel in such a short period of time. And I've never walked in a race short other than that one. And I've also done half Iron Man's eight days apart where it went great. And I, kind of knocked them both out of the park and that's two day difference and and it makes a big difference. So it's super variable on the person and you really have to know what they're capable of. But as long as you're paying attention to the recovery of each race, it's once you're probably like five races into your career, whether it's an Ironman or a half Ironman, then you can start making those decisions as to how
2: close and how far apart you can put those races.
0: Marilyn, do you want to add anything to that? I thought that was good.
2: Yeah, no, I thought that was great. I mean, definitely for for the newbies out there. And I would say anyone who's on, you know, only done um three or less Ironmans, um, I look at I look at things in blocks, so 20 weeks, 16 weeks, 12 weeks. I think for really experienced athletes, you know, 12 weeks would be just fine. Um, but like you say, that less that less experienced, just because they're training all the time and their overall, you know, their overall training year to year and throughout the year is probably pretty high. Um, but, uh, you know, a new athlete, I agree hundred percent, Elliot, you know, you need 20 weeks is six months. So yeah, half a year. I mean, that's, that's sort of good rule of thumb. If you're looking at an Ironman distance race, if you're looking at a half Ironman, I would say 16 weeks is probably enough. Um, even for the, the newer people and, um, Olympic distance, I still think, you know, 16 to 12 weeks, you w- wouldn't want any less than 12 weeks to prepare for an Olympic distance. When you're a beginner. When you're a beginner that yeah. correct yeah yeah yeah
1: i'm actually curious do you do you guys remember, like the distances between the, the amount of time between your first Olympics and halves and iron man's.
2: Oh gosh no.
1: Well, it, the reason I say it is I distinctly remember doing my first half and just feeling like death for about a month, and then, so I, and then I had two. I think I must have had nine weeks in between my two halves. Mm-hmm. And that was about appropriate, but I was also 21 years old and, and training 20 plus hours a week. Yeah. Um, but if you would have had me race five weeks after I guarantee you, I would have cried, you know, it would have been, it would have gone terribly.
2: Right.
0: I think I, I spaced out my first halves three weeks apart mm-hmm. and that was such a bad idea. <laughs> I, too close. I oh my gosh, it was, it was way too close. I, uh, I would not recommend that for your first two half Ironmans.
2: Yeah, the, the big thing. So the interesting thing to know on that, Jesse, is that this is where I'm talking about what, what training, when you're stacking races, they, if you look at stacking races, they need to be close enough together. You gain fitness from race to race and the recovery between. So you either want to look at it like, okay, if you're going to stack them close together and you're gaining fitness from each race. So it's like race, recover, race, recover, race, recover. They need to be pretty close together, right? Because other words, there's, like you said, like three weeks, there's not really enough time to recover and do a training block and be rested and go race again. So you're in this foggy, like, it's too far away to have just like race, gain the benefit from the race rest and go race again. So that's too long. You'll lose fitness, but it's not long enough to recover, do another training block and then rest up just a little bit and go race again. So those are the things that you're looking at when you're looking at these race, you know, stacking races or putting them together, because, you know, if you, if you have these, that's when people always say, well, when doing the double Ironman was a big thing, there was a kind of a a big trend for a while. There is, you know, people would say, Oh, you know, what's the perfect timing of these. And some people could do them as close as back to back weekends. And some people could do them two weeks apart and almost spot on every single time. It was like three weeks was just that foggy, terrible it's, it's zone weird. because it's like, it's too, it's, it's too long to hold on to the fitness, but it's not long enough to put another training block in. And so you just show up at the second one out of shape. Um, So, and then becomes really miserable. So, you know, these kinds of timing of things are pretty important when you're looking at race blocks and what you're going to try and get out of them and when they should be placed with one another.
1: As far as rules of thumb, I a hundred percent agree with everything Marilyn just said to, to a T like one to two weeks is possible. And three weeks when you look at it, I just never see a way for for it to make sense. And it's exactly what you said. There's not enough time to recover, but also retrain. It's just, it's awkward with Ironmans, but one and two is, is feasible. You also, the the thing you pointed out to me is um, I did it a few times myself, but I've also done it with athletes who are, who are focusing more on the half Ironman distance where they purposely will say, well, I want to do six half Ironmans and Terenzo Bazone does this. And he's, he's probably the best in the world. He actually does three halves and three weekends. And he does it like two or three times a year and he shows up and he annihilates everyone three weekends in a row. And they all say he's on drugs. It's impossible. Nobody can race that good. And then what happens? He doesn't race for four months or five months. You know, he takes a huge rest and then he trains like crazy. And then he shows up and he kills everybody for three weeks in in a row. And he's done it, you know, his whole career. And he never does the three weekends. And then you see him racing four weeks later.
2: Yeah. It's bit, and his training block before would be huge, right? I mean, he Massive. Be, like he would have this, you know, six month training block that was so big that then, you know, you recover and then go into a race block. And he, and again, he was probably, I mean, you know, from watching him is that he, he does that. He holds on to fitness for a long time and gains fitness from each race. and probably just sort of ticks it over a little bit in between, keep just enough sharpness and freshness and in, in between and, gains momentum from each race. But again, that fourth week, now four weeks of that, it's just too long. And now you're out of shape. So it's like, you know, this huge, huge amount of training, you probably don't rest that much into the first one race, you know, get moving real quick, right afterwards, keep ticking it over, just keep tapping, touching the energy systems just a little bit, gain a little fitness from race to race. And then by week three, you're at like your peak racing fitness, really kill that one. And then that's when the cliff's going to fall off. And so you, you know, you head home and you see that with IQ athletes as well. So, you know, he came from an IQ background, so he would have that experience on, on how to do that as well.
0: And he also has what 20 years of, of racing and training experience. So he, exactly. he's got some, some pretty good, uh, cumulative fitness there where he can, he can absorb a six month training block of, um, I imagine 35, 45 hour weeks, big training where maybe someone who's just starting out can't quite handle that kind of training in order to be fit enough to race that many weekends in a row. Yeah. So yeah. it works for him really well, but maybe not the best for everyone.
1: Well, no. So, but he all, he, he does three, but I just wanted to make a point for some of the like more beginner pros I've coached who are focusing on half Ironmans. It's worked quite well to do a focus training block race, race a week later, if you can try to get a Saturday to Sunday race. So you get the seven days in between. Um, And then you train for a couple months and then you do it again and you train for a couple months and you do it again. And you really only have, you know, a one week block three times a year where you're ready to rock and roll, but you're really ready to rock and roll. So, and that's more, basically that's Marilyn. You did the same thing in your career.
0: Mm -hmm. Awesome.
2: We got what kind else? of fired. We got kind of fired up there.
0: Whew, that was good. That was good.
2: <laughs> we we, both, we all need a little. We all need a little. I, I didn't realize that's
1: good. what we were going to talk about, but
2: that's, yeah, I was like, <laughs> so that kind of fired sense. up. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 So I think you know, if we wanted to look at a, if someone is like, oh, what's a very traditional rules of thumb? Because we've talked about a lot of extremes here. You know, if you, if you, you know, if you do a good three, four months training, and then say after about three, four months training, you want to do your first sea race, little sharpener race, see where you're at, test the waters might be something shorter, like a sprint or Olympic, or maybe a single sport type event, like a running race or a bike race or something like that, maybe even a swim race. Um, and then, you know, you go do an assessment of how, how did it go? Where are we at? What kind of, you know, dust the cobwebs out, got to practice transitions, all those kinds of things. And then you might go, you know, into your next four, six, eight week training block, do a little bit longer race, have a little bit higher expectations. We can call this our B race. And um, hopefully that's going to be somewhere in that, you know, eight to six week, maybe up to four weeks before your A race. So that it's, you're gaining some fitness from it, but there's still time to like recover and do another training block and head into your, and head into your A race. And so if we're going to say, maybe that's like, a, a sprint an olympic and then or and then a half ironman or two half ironmans and then you head to your you know ironman or something like that so if you're looking at like how do i actually set this up in terms of cba and and, and a more traditional approach then i think um that's a pretty safe bet for most people
0: awesome yeah i would totally agree and i think that um 2020 has taught us that for those C races and even those B races, if you don't have an event you can get to, you can make your own and it can be anything that will kind of help you springboard your fitness. There's been a lot more time trials or race simulations. at least that I've seen people doing in, in the last year than in years past, because maybe there wasn't an opportunity to do that. So you kind of have to set your up your own. And, and so I would, I would also encourage athletes to be creative, especially this year where there might not be the races in the spring that we want or expect. So you might just have that one, a race say late spring, early summer. So, you know, have that ability to think creatively and say, okay, like I still want to practice racing, even if it doesn't look quite the same, what can I do that will kind of give me that same C race feeling or B race feeling in order to, to feel as sharp as I want to feel on when that a race rolls around, uh, because like we talked about earlier, the B and C races are not just lower priority races. They're really prep and fitness builders for that a race. So they're super important. And so finding something that you can do. So you don't just roll into that a race with just a good training block, I think can be, um, mentally important and physically important to, to perform well at the a race. For,
1: for this season, for the 2021 season with your, your athletes, I'm assuming you guys have started to talk a a little bit, maybe not with all of them, but, but some of them are you purposely having them try to choose their more important races towards the back end of the season? Because it's more likely the race will happen or what's your thoughts on that?
0: I'm doing a little bit of both depending on, on the athlete, but if they do have an a race that's in the spring, we've talked about like having also a fall season, I guess in, in Tucson, we usually have a spring season and a fall season. Summer's a little less busy because it's so hot. So, but we have talked about the fact that yes, we're going to train like there's going to be these spring races, and if there's not, we'll do something. But we also have that fall season where we say, okay, well, even if we just end up training in the spring, we have that fall season that we're going to kind of come like fall back on. So we definitely had the conversation that spring races might not be 100 or might not happen. But um, but yeah, kind of saying that's okay because we still have races in the fall, so we want to be working on getting ready, practicing racing, doing what we need to do to be ready, uh, for the fall, even if this doesn't happen. Marilyn.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm more just letting all of my athletes pick their race calendar. And we're all, I work with all of them long enough that we have that, we have the understanding that, you know, okay, 2020 was 2020 and Hey, this could carry on into 2021. However, with the vaccines and, you know, races are filling up, we're starting to see some pop up. So let's just plan as if everything is going to happen. And, and still, I, I'm always a big believer. One of the things I ask my athletes to do is pick races that put a fire in their belly um, and that are important to them. And so if we start manipulating the race season based around what we might think with COVID, that can be, that can be hard on motivation. And, and so I think I still have been encouraging my athletes pick the races that put a fire in your belly, pick the races that we, we would want to do. Let's train as if they're going to happen. And, you know, we'll just deal with the situations as they come up, just as we have been. Um, You know, I think, I think it's just important to continue to, you know, prioritize passion over prediction Right. You know, and we say, like,
0: that's good. That's a good quote.
2: Right. Exactly. You can put that in there. <laughs> yeah. It. You just, yeah. Right. Put it in the show notes. But yeah, I mean, it, because that's what's going to keep getting us out the door, especially through these hard times when races keep getting canceled. If we, if we plan the season around it, could or could not happen, that could start to weigh on people through their training blocks. Or am I really going to get to race? Should I really get out and do this long ride? It's like, which one puts a fire in your belly? Let's prepare for it. And then we'll just deal with it, how it's going to, you know, whatever comes up and, um, and go from there. I, I think
1: maybe because more of my athletes are, are in Northern climates on average. Is Frankie having a rough go in the background? <laughs> Something
0: Something's going on. I don't know what's going on. Sorry. <laughs> um, because of that,
1: I've, I, what you said about passion like that, that's always the number one thing. I, if somebody's not, really invested in their a race we were talking about a races before i would just suggest that not be their a race right you don't choose an a race that you're just not super jazzed to get after uh i guess we didn't touch on that but you just did and and that's really important and because my athletes are more northern i'm basically saying like hey let's try to make sure that a race is in july or later and whatever's on the calendar that's available for later in the year like choose whatever you want and then in our lead up we can be uh, you know, there might be a race that falls through here or there, but because it will be part of the buildup, it's not quite as important. And we could do something by yourself, which is what we've done much of 2020 anyways, like Jesse said. So same thoughts, but I guess different climates lead to a little bit different answers and approaches.
0: So Awesome. That was great. Well, hopefully everyone is, uh, is, taking this into consideration as they're planning their season. And there's a lot to, to think about this year with what, what may or may not happen. But, uh, I think Marilyn said it well with, uh, you should kind of follow your passion over what you're going to predict will happen. Do you guys have anything else you want to add to that?
2: No, I think, I think it's just important to, um, you know, have like anything it's, you know, have a plan, you know, sit down, whether you just, take the time, it's the holidays right now. And and so maybe it's not on your mind just yet, but um, take the time to actually sit down with the calendar, work backwards from those dates and, and come up with some kind of plan, even if it's going to be a bit of a flexi plan or whatever. But, you know, the most important thing is, is have an idea of, of those weeks, you know, four weeks out, eight weeks out, 12 weeks out, where are my A races, where are my C races? And I always know it might be a, a plan and a plan in motion, but But take the time to plan. And I think if you do that, you're, you're going to keep getting better, whether you actually get to race or not, you're going to still keep getting better. And that's the important thing.
0: So, so don't do what I did when I randomly raced six days apart. Is that,
2: well, yeah, you did, you did two things wrong.
1: You, one, you didn't have a plan and two, you didn't manage expectations, which is another thing Marilyn said earlier, it's, it's. Going into those C races or even the B races, if, if you do a good job of saying, this is my goal heading into this, and maybe it's not my peak performance, but there's something tangible I can take away, that will be a success. That's what you kind of need. So any race you put on the calendar, you, you really need to know what is the tangible thing I can take away from this. If it's and that tangible thing can be, I'm supporting a local race. I'm having fun and it's hard that that can be it. You know, but you just need to know, oh, well, it might not be a PR and that's fine, but you have these other things you can take away from it. And then of course, you know, if you're, if you're trying to qualify for Ironman Hawaii, et cetera, then you have, have something really concrete and you're going to put it on the calendar and you're going to work backwards quite a bit and, and make sure that those final eight, 10 weeks are all focused on, on that Ironman.
0: So, yeah, not only having a plan, even if the plan is a little bit flexible, but also having expectations, goals for each race, each part of the plan to kind of make it a complete plan for the season.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That's two yeses. I'm I assuming. like it.
0: I like it. Oh, doesn't happen very often for me. <laughs> I'm going to roll that. <laughs> uh, well on that note, I, I really enjoyed spending the afternoon with you guys. Hopefully you guys did as well. And, yeah. um, yeah. Absolutely,
2: always fun, guys.
0: Yeah, all right. Take care. Good to chat. Talk to you guys soon. Bye. Bye.